Hey, and welcome to the Aloha Church Podcast. We believe that full life is found in Jesus. And after this message, if you have any questions, please engage with us over social media or connect with us on a Sunday morning. We so hope you enjoy this message. You guys, story of the Good Samaritan. I am so excited to be talking to you about this. My name is Trish. You're at Aloha Church. Um, In the Good Samaritan, Jesus displays his genius he is a genius. He dodges traps. He turns tables. It's not the boring elementary school story that we have heard it. Heard of. So it, it's not that, that's not the story that we've been, been uh, hearing, especially if you've been raised in church. I'd like to think that this is the story of the Good Samaritan told in a way you've never heard before. I hope so. Let me know if it is. Um, if we just lean in a little bit closer to the text, I believe we're going to find some treasure. So shall we take an adventure this morning? Yes. Okay. I got into bed last night and I was like, I'm so excited for this content. Um, Okay. Here's our introductory question. What do we know about the story of the Good Samaritan? That's your cue. (laughs) What do you know about the story of the Good Samaritan? Yas. Yas. Okay, I know you're saying it in your mind. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard like a dozen different uh, ways that the story's been told. A man was beaten, left on the side of the road. A priest and a Levite passed by him, did nothing. Then a Samaritan man, somebody who was vilified by the Jews at the time, Samaritan man came by, did the right thing, helped him, used his own funds to give him shelter and medical attention. Yes? Yes. Sunday school version, we can either, are we the priests and the Levites passing by the man, or are we the Good Samaritan to help? Right? Okay. But as we've been learning about the parables, what do we learn about the parables? Oh, it's not about us. We are not the hero of the story. We'll let that sink in today. Jesus is always the hero of the parables. So here's my hook this morning. The story of the Good Samaritan does not start out on the Jewish road with a man beaten and abandoned. We're going to get there, but that's not where it starts. The story actually starts out in a courtroom scene. What? Guys, did that get your attention? (laughs) Okay, it's going to be good this morning, I promise. Before the story of the Good Samaritan starts, the Bible said Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. And a man who was an expert in the law, we're going to call him a lawyer for the sake of this story, he tested him. Jesus had barely started out on his journey towards Jerusalem, toward his imminent death. And this lawyer steps into his path, trying to stall Jesus on his road and, and he asks Jesus, basically, it's dramatic presentation. Don't take my word for this, okay? He asks Jesus to step into this courtroom in order to test him. Jesus becomes a defendant. So Luke says the lawyer intended not to actually ask a pure-hearted question. He intended to test him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Weird question, because everybody knew the answer to that. Children knew the answer to that. Old people knew the answer to that. So weird question for the lawyer to ask. So Jesus is like, okay, you've asked me a question, but you already know the answer. So why don't you go ahead and tell us? 
Can you hear his tone? I, I kind of think that Jesus sometimes gets a little snarky, you know? As the lawyer states what would have been obvious back then, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Can you, like, hear the arrogant tone in the lawyer's voice? Like, so just, like, I got him. So Jesus says, yep, you've given the right answer. So why didn't the lawyer stop there? Are we tar- seriously talking about lawyers in relation to the Good Samaritan? Anybody? Anybody heard this version before? Don't raise your hands. I want to pretend that none of you did. I want to pretend that I'm blowing your mind. Okay. So, <laughs> so the lawyer, his point was to trick Jesus, right? It was, by the way, to make Jesus seem blandly conventional, to make him admit in an open courtroom scene that he was heading up to Jerusalem, not really to do anything new or dangerous, not really hype. Like, he's, there's just so much hype that's not really there. This is the point that the lawyer's trying to make. Like, who wants to follow somebody like that? Somebody who's just really just actually just normal. The lawyer is trying to get Jesus to admit that he's, like, just really talking about what we've been talking about our whole lives. Love God, love your neighbor, yada, yada, yada. Um, so what's there to fear in that kind of faith, Jesus, the lawyer may have thought? You're not really doing anything new here. Move along, folks. Nothing to see here. Point made. But the lawyer did not stop there at that point. He should have. He should have. He made a rookie mistake, asked an open-ended question that he didn't know the answer to. Rookie lawyer mistake. And he said, who is my neighbor? So remember, remember, the lawyer was not interested in the answer to the question. He just wants to test Jesus. Spoiler alert, Jesus is always looking at the motives of our heart. Spoiler. So as the scene heats up, have you ever heard the Good Samaritan told like this? This is why we love Jesus, because he's real smart too. He's brilliant, real intelligent, funny. He calls the lawyer out on not living out what he believes, and he says, do this, and you will live. But the lawyer knows he can't actually live out the law perfectly. So he's searching for the loophole like any good lawyer does. He's not interested in following Jesus. He, wants, he just wants the rewards. He wants Jesus to validate him publicly in this courtroom. Are you with me? Okay, that feels not super confident up here. Okay, as I read this this week... <laughs> It made me stop and take a look in the mirror. Because before we throw the lawyer under the bus, I guess we just have to ask ourselves, like, do we do that? Do we look for loopholes? Are we trying to justify our nice, easy, religious, law-filled life? Mm. We look for loopholes so we can continue to do what we want to do, but we still want the rewards of a life following Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the lawyer starts getting uncomfortable, Ooh, sweating. He realizes he may not have the upper hand anymore, which is why he doubled down on the second question, who is my neighbor? When he asked the first question, it was clear Jesus was on trial. It was Jesus who was being judged by public opinion. The spotlight was not on the lawyer, but Jesus refused to answer the question Instead, turning it back on the lawyer and in one breathtaking move, 
flips the table on the lawyer. Jesus did that. He's so intelligent. So the lawyer began to prove that he was indeed a man in good standing, like the lawyer now is on trial. The spotlight now is on the lawyer, right? And his heart condition is truly that he believes the law saves. Side note, you know, it's interesting when you start talking about grace and mercy and God's unlimited forgiveness and his passion to love sinners where they are at, you will always have other Christians who hold up the law and enforce rules every time. This is what the lawyer was doing. The lawyer was trying to prove that he was a man of God in good standing because he followed the rules, did what he was supposed to do, and he earned his good standing like all good Christians should do. But Jesus didn't respond as the lawyer expected to the contrary. He buckled the lawyer's knees and threw him into a ditch. Are you with me this morning? It is just heating up. This is where the parable gets good. Jesus starts telling a story. So a certain man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him for dead. Jesus, in that moment, was saying to the lawyer, imagine that you were that man heading down the road to Jerusalem. You're attacked by robbers, and you fall into the ditch. So this is where our mind can possibly get blown with new meaning. It's where what happened to me this week and why I was so excited to share this with you. The lawyer who was only trying to jest Jesus now finds himself face down in the road, in the ditch. Not as the good Samaritan, no, but as the man in the ditch. Not the one giving help, but the one in dire need. So if we take a closer look, maybe, maybe turn our heads upside down. Like, like, do you ever like be like, ah, I can't solve this problem. Let me just lay upside down for a minute and think about it. It helps. If we just look at this in a different way, most of us want to be respectable and in good standing. This lawyer had found a place to stand. He, he depended on the basic rule. Love God, love your number, love your neighbor. But he did it in order to remain fixed and unchanging. He's clinging to the system of religious justification, and again, like most of us, found this sweet spot in the religious system that allowed him to be stagnant. He was a person who did not need or want to move. But Jesus proclaims a kingdom on the move, right? Jesus knows what radical fate is waiting him in Jerusalem, and he has his face set towards it. Jesus is ministering, and he's moving towards the cross and towards a lost humanity. In Jesus, the system is not standing still. It is not a set order of rules. Dress like this. Don't talk like this. Don't watch those shows. Make sure to go to church. Have Christian friends. Be at church. Bring others to the church. Don't go out in the community. That's too dangerous. 
And that's why the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus throws the lawyer in the ditch besides the road. He throws us in the ditch. He's using the parable to expose the man's true heart condition. He's showing that, I mean, it's really a gift to the lawyer. He's trying to pop his eyes open, illuminate something to him. The lawyer is lying face down naked in the highway with no no way to help himself. The lawyer wants to be seen as already righteous, but Jesus showed instead that he was simply a member of the human race in desperate need of rescue and a move towards repentance. Contrary to popular belief, the moral of the story is not to ask, am I the priest or Levite or am I the good Samaritan? That is not the moral of the Good Samaritan. That is way too simple. We are beyond that as a church. We're beyond that. It's antiquated Sunday school, washed down version. Let's grow up and discover that Jesus invites us not to ask who is our neighbor in need of help, but rather to see ourselves as somebody who may need to be neighbored. to see ourselves as a wounded traveler abandoned on the side of the road, unable to get home, and we have to grasp this concept in order for us to mature in the faith. The answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is that you have no idea who your neighbor is until you yourself know how exactly needy you are and in that receive the unexpected grace of being neighbored by God. And it's only in that heart position that you can then see who your neighbor is in order to help. And this is really good news. (laughs) Only when we've experienced only when we've had the experience of being rescued by grace can we become like the Samaritan, like Christ, showing mercy and compassion. Only, only when we've had a moment in our lives where we thought, I could have done nothing to help myself. I was in a dark wing of the night, one chemical drop away from madness, and he saved me. And I couldn't do anything to help myself And who is there around me that also needs that same type of help? We serve out of the gratefulness of being saved. Okay, I've got something kind of fun for you guys. Um, Beth and Vanessa, you guys can come up here. Don't get me wrong today. We are meant to be like the good Samaritan and help others. Oftentimes help is incredibly inconvenient. Say that. Incredibly inconvenient. Guys are sleepy today. Um, Christianity is inconvenient. It's a package deal, though. It comes with both Christ and his people, and a lot of those people need help, unfortunately. Among other things, the lawyer and the crowd learned that day was that there's a cost to be on the move with Christ, and that cost is oftentimes real bothersome. If you take a look at the state of our nation, most people protect themselves from inconvenience as if it's like deadly. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced these days. But the economy of Christ is an upside down world, right? What the world thinks is valuable, Christ doesn't. And what Christ considers valuable, the world doesn't. The currency of Christianity is inconvenience. 
We have some really good friends at Aloha who are doing some incredibly inconvenient work for Christ. We wanted to honor their labor and have them share with you today. I'm going to have Vanessa share first. Um, Vanessa is a middle school principal. Hey! She... <laughs> She works in Lemon Grove at a Title I school. 90% of her kids are either having free lunches or reduced lunches. Um, one of the first Sundays I talked to her, she was leaving church early because there had been a homicide in her area, and it turned out to be one of her kids' brothers, I think, um, of which she knew she was going to have to counsel the family and triage that situation. She's incredibly impactful in her community, and I wanted her to share a little bit more. Thank you so much, Trish. So I wanted to start by saying I have the honor and privilege of serving over 600 Lemon Grove families. And if you think back to when you were in middle school, all of the challenges that you might have been struggling with, now in 2023, it's that much harder. Um, my students are face-to-face -face every day with drug addiction, custody issues, deportation, homeless insecurity, housing insecurity, and a variety of different things. This past week, one of my students who has struggled with drug addiction and self-harm came in late to school her eyes were all red she had her backpack on and she has to turn in her backpack in the front office because of situations that she's got into and she came to me and she said Dr. Ease, did you know that in order for a depressed person to survive every day they need 10 hugs and I looked at her and I was like sweetie how many hugs did you get today and she's like, I didn't get any. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be your first hug, and I'm going to be the last hug that you have when you leave today. Um, that's just one of the many stories that I have to face with, uh, face with my students on a daily basis. Um, as you can imagine, it's impossible to go to school and get an education when you are struggling at home with so many different things. In August, I had the opportunity to defend my dissertation, and my whole dissertation was about community schools. Basically, exactly what we're doing here. We're in a school. Your power and the prayer stays in this ground for the students that are here. And so community schools are all about keeping schools open seven days a week. Students need more than just math tutoring. They need mentors. They need a dental clinic to be able to provide them services. And that's something that my school does. We have a dental clinic. We have medical care for our families that do not have insurance. We have a boutique on campus to be able to provide them with different different resources, whether it's deodorant or clothes or food, because the realities they're facing when they leave my school are so incredibly challenging. And so I just wanted to kind of challenge the, the church today to really think about how you're supporting your public school in a different capacity. I know there's often a stigma about what public schools are. I was someone who grew up in the church, um, in a big mega church up in Northern California, and so oftentimes I heard that public schools are bad, they're hurting our children. In reality, our public schools need our church more than ever. They need people to be able to come out and offer whatever support you have. Maybe it's dropping some water bottles down, or maybe it's bringing some clothes that are gently used, or it's offering a service if you have an organization or a business to partner with. I do want to just challenge the church to go to your neighborhood public school. Ask the administrator, what do you need help with? Maybe, they, and they'll be honest, they'll be very honest about what they need because as you can see in our community, our public school system is failing. They're breaking apart and they need the church more than ever. And so I'm super grateful for the prayer warriors who 
walk around my school and pray for my school, for the volunteers who come in to help my teachers, and the partners that I have who come into my school and, and provide services for my students and my families. And I just wanted to share that with you all today. So thank you. Hi, my name is Bethany Pico, or a lot of people call me Beth. Um, I'm a friend of Aloha, and Trish asked me to share a little bit about what I do and also my roommate, Tawny, does. Um, so since February, we've been volunteering with an organization called Olive Crest. And some of you may have heard it. Some of you may have seen me walking around with some kiddos. Um, so what that organization does is it basically is a stopgap between foster care and moms that are in crisis. So these kids are basically in some sort of crisis, or the moms specifically are in a crisis where they might be homeless, they've experienced domestic violence, or they're having some sort of medical emergency. And the moms, um, they have no community. They're completely at a loss. They have absolutely no community. So this organization brings people in, and it pairs them with a host family and allows those kids to have a safe place to land from um, up maybe one night up to three months. So Tawny and I started um, doing this. It was kind of interesting because my friend runs the organization and I said, I'm single, I live with a roommate, I don't think this is like for me right now. And I said that for about two years. I was like, I don't think it's for me right now. I'm still single, I still live with a roommate. <laughs> and I, I heard the stories almost every day. She'd call me coming home from work saying this is what's going on. And I kept thinking, I could go pick that kid up. What am I doing? I'm going surfing, which is great. I, I strongly encourage that. Um, but I also said, you know, what can I do to help? And at first it might have been, oh, let me just encourage your staff. I'm just gonna like drop off a meal for your staff. They're probably in the trenches, as you've heard. So I'm gonna drop off a meal. And then I just kept hearing. I said, you know what? Maybe it's time. Um, we had a roommate moving out and um, Missy encouraged Tawny and I, open up your home and invite some children in. We're like, oh, it seems like a lot. There's a lot of rent. Um, all those things involved. So this is a completely volunteer organization. It's not foster care. We don't receive any sort of funding for it. So we prayed about it and fasted for a little while, and we came to the conclusion that we wanted to at least try. So that was our try. Um, since February, we've had 10 kids in our home, um, as young as one, as old as 10 years old, um, nine years old. And um, some of them gone to school near us. They've got them enrolled in like local public schools, um, some at the YMCA program, stuff like that. And it's been kind of a crazy, messy, beautifully exhausting journey. Um, these kids show up at our house sometimes with absolutely nothing, uh, the clothes on their back. So first night, what do you do? You get them a toothbrush, you get them some, a shower, you send a panic text to friends, I need clothing, I need a Target run. Um, I don't have anything right now, so what can I offer them? So it's been, crisis is not easy. It's not one of those things that we step into and say like, I'm gonna fix the situation. It's we know that mom is trying so hard and at a loss of what to do next, and she has absolutely no one. So how can we love her and love her family and honor them well and um, show them what biblical hospitality is? And I've been challenged by that. Biblical hospitality can look really different. Um, for me, it was, Tani was out of town. We had a little, a little guy, his name's Jeremiah, and he's one years old, and basically, um, I don't, I don't have children, as you can tell. And um, he woke up at 11, 11 p.m. screaming. I was like, okay, bottle, diaper, we got this. Screaming for an hour straight. I said, oh no, like I broke him. Tawny's sleeping in another place. What did I do? <laughs> um, 
And I texted every parent I could think of that might be awake from here to Hawaii. And I was like, who, who can help me out? No one answered. So I said, you know what? Mom's in, mom's in the hospital. I didn't want to worry her. So I texted mom. And I said, I don't know if you're awake. I don't want you to worry, but he's just crying a lot. Do you know anything that could help him? She's like, oh, yeah, he's having night terror. I was like, these are open. I don't know what that looks like. So she's like, just try to wake him up. And if you could play the song Calm Down by Rema, which is like a Jamaican like fun song, that'll work. Instantly went to sleep, slept the rest of the night. I was like, okay. So um, that was just like a small tidbit of a little bit what a biblical hospitality taught me. It might just be you know, trying to figure out how to be there, be present for the kids and like what will comfort them when they're in a really difficult situation. Um, right now we have three girls, they're in the Groms ministry. We got a phone call on Monday night to pick them up. Um, they were sleeping outside that night and um, we were actually turned down by public school saying that they couldn't enter because there's a lot of enrollment stuff, but um, we figured it out, which is awesome. So we got a phone call, they could go to school. And um, it was crazy, it just like picked them up and it, the, the small wins for us is like when they build trust with us. They say, okay, I know that you're comforting me, I know that you're there for me. And um, just encouraging them to like love Jesus and like point them to God because we don't know exactly where they're gonna go after this. We hope for the best. It's 95% reunification with their parents, um, but sometimes things don't always turn out that way. So it's just been one of those beautifully messing, absolutely exhausting, um, but really just encouraging to like step into brokenness. Um, and sometimes I don't know what to do. Sometimes I play calm down and hope that it works. And, and text a bunch of people and sometimes um, you just kind of have to sit there and, and cry with them and be with them um, in their brokenness. So yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about what that looks like for us. Um, and one, one very small note is I live in La Jolla and I had to really go out of my way to step into something like that. It was just down the street, but I was surrounded and I think I just thought this was like I got used to it of like what that community looked like in terms of wealth. Um, not saying that people in La Jolla are all in the same position, but it was it took an extra step to say, let me just drive 15 minutes outside of my regular comfort zone to enter into um, where people might be hurting. So yeah, thanks Trish. If you have not been inconvenienced in your life yet, it is time. <laughs> it's time. There's too much work to be done. There's too much help that needs to be gotten. And as inconvenient as it is to follow Jesus, nobody was ever more inconvenienced than he was. He's not calling us to do something that he himself didn't do. He called us to a life of inconvenience, but he also played the part of the man. He left the bliss of heaven, laid aside his divine privileges, and inconveniently became human. He went through the trivial irritations of daily life, suffocating burdens of hard work, lack of money, terror, pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. Most of us have not gotten there yet. Jesus, too, actually, get this. This was fun. My iPad's not working very well. It's, like, not sensitive, so I have to, like, press on it. And I'm feeling like a boomer up here, which makes me feel a little discouraged. But 
Okay. Oh, why can't they just walk? Okay. I was thinking about this on my walk. Jesus, too, was a beaten man. He was left on the road, crumpled under the cross that he himself couldn't carry on his way to Calvary. Did you get that? What? And a helper, let's call him a symbolic good Samaritan because he didn't necessarily volunteer for the job. He picked up Jesus' cross to walk with him. This helper carried the cross that would allow Jesus to take the role of the ultimate good Samaritan in which he pays the highest price to draw us out of the eternal ditch forever. This is how loving Jesus is. He was revolutionary. He was scary to follow. He was rebellious. He was an incredibly charismatic, fill-in-the-adjective man. He was a god on the move. He was not stagnant. Ugh. He was a brilliant king in the body of a man, holding back the heavilies in his flesh, in his skin, so he could walk the part of a man like we do. So he could feel what we feel. So he could be closer to us in our humanity and in our limitations. He got dirty like the Good Samaritan did. He got dirty. He got our blood on him, our sins on him, and God accepted his sacrifice so he could be one with us together forever with the God of the galaxies. Whoa. Take a minute. Let that sink in. While my iPod, while, while I get to the next page on my iPad. Today, discover the story of the Good Samaritan. We are the lawyer stuck on the side of the road with no one to save us. Michael, you guys can come up. And as that truth sinks into our bones, we're commanded to go and help others with that heart of compassion. To be inconvenienced, to get dirty, to be a church on the move, not a church that's in right standing to join with God as he's moving us all forward to a future with no pain and suffering, to be in his presence forever. Imagine that. That's good. You guys good? I'll pray. Was that, did that blow your mind a little bit? Yes. Woohoo! Okay. Let's pray. Lord, how do we respond to your extravagant love for us? How do we respond to the Good Samaritan? I believe you would like us to trouble ourselves because you yourself was troubled. I believe you'd want us to humble ourselves because you humbled yourself to die for others because you died for us. And the only thing that will enable us to turn from our selfish addicted ways addiction to comfort addiction to pleasure our fear of 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 inconvenience the only thing that's going to allow us to turn from that is the power of the holy spirit so empower us today lord because there's so much work that needs to be done we love you this is about you amen 
You've been listening to the Aloha Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about living free in Jesus, please reach out to us. We hope God spoke something wonderful and life-giving to you today. Until next time, lots of love and aloha. Aloha.